Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and hosting right alongside me, Juliette Lamar. Hey, everybody. Our guest this episode is an actress and entrepreneur who is currently based in Los Angeles, but who is originally and forever a New Yorker. Among other appearances, you'll recognize her from her recurring role on CBS's Blue Bloods, Season 2 of ABC's Quantico, Netflix's Master of None, The Affair, and Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. Her upcoming feature-length documentary, Invisible, exposes the agonizing realities of living with a chronic pain condition called fibromyalgia. She also has her own podcast, What Are Friends For? <laughs> Pallavi Sastry, welcome to the podcast. Look at you in your singing voice. <laughs> so I mean, the second time only in 120 episodes that I have sung. <laughs> but you know what? I listen to your podcast and that thing is stuck in my head. Sometimes when I'm going to sleep, instead of meditating, that's what's playing in there. Mm, that means I've done my job with a good jingle. Yeah. Did you write the jingle? I did not. A good friend of ours from college. I went to school for musical theater, so we have a lot of talented people in our pool. We just asked one of them to write one, and that's what she came up with. It's a really cool opening. I like your podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, where do we start? Let's start at the beginning. Where do you come from? Where do I come from? Well, I love that you said that I was like originally and always a New Yorker, which is true because I did live there for over 10 years, but I'm originally from Houston, Texas, actually. Mm. Well, you didn't tell me that. I did <laughs> not because I like to claim New York. It's yeah. like once you like hit 10 years there, you're like, I did it. I'm here. I win. Well, it's because like if you have milk and you put in a few drops of Hershey's syrup, it's not milk and it's chocolate milk. <laughs> you are a New Yorker, like even though there's yeah. some Houston base there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I haven't lived there since I was a, you know, teenager. I probably so. just offended a lot of Texas. <laughs> Milk is good for you. Yeah. It's all good. It's uh. all good. No, my parents still live there. Um, it was a great place to grow up. But, uh, you know, I think when I have dreams of stardom, it was really important for me to get somewhere else. And that place was New York because I wanted to be on Broadway. Yeah. So you were born in Texas. Mm-hmm. And how old were you when you left? 17. Oh, so just two years ago. <laughs> Thank you Amazing. so much. I'll take it. Anytime. Um, so it's interesting because Texas has that pretty, like, unmistakable accent. Yep. Mm-hmm. And New York has that kind of unmistakable accent. Yep. And you have no accent whatsoever. Well, I also grew up in a um, first-generation Americans, and my parents are from India. They're, they immigrated from India in the 70s. So, like, I heard also that accent. Also a recognizable accent. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I heard that at home. I went to school and heard, like, you know, a mishmash of, like, you know, metropolitan Texan accents. And then I also went to theater school. And then I moved to New York. So, like, I feel like it all just sort of canceled itself out. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I used to go to New York from Texas to do musical theater camps, they would pick up on words that I would say. And they'd be like, huh? You say that word funny, you know, and <laughs> yeah. things like that. But, you know, other than that, I, I think it was all just a, I heard so much, you know, variety that none of it really stuck. I was just thinking about how you would say mishmash with an Indian accent, a Texas accent and a New York accent. <laughs> oh, let's not try that. That sounds like a mess. It would be three different versions that don't sound like mishmash. Yeah. <laughs> um, acting was important to you early on. Yeah. I found musical theater when I was about 14 um, and I grew Were you in up. music before that? Uh, yes. So, uh, yeah, my mother is a classically trained Indian singer, like Indian classically trained singer. Hmm. Um, and that is a very specific style. Um, she, I mean, she started us real young. Like, she was my first voice teacher, basically. On singing. Um, yes. And do you singing. have brothers and sisters? Or I have a younger sister, so both of us would sit down and take lessons with her. But who's sometimes more mature? Together. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> so, so her. <laughs> the, the giggle gives it away. <laughs> 
Uh, I get, it depends on the day, I guess. Uh, but um, yeah, so my mother started us young. We have a very artistic family. On my mother's side, my dad's side is all engineers and scientists and doctors. Oh, wow. So huh. you got both brains going. Exactly, exactly. So my dad likes to joke that his instrument is, is him clapping. You know, like <laughs> that's what he would do. Don't take that from him. <laughs> exactly. I never try to, you know. Um, Are you a good clapper? Uh, am I? I have no idea. But really? he's, he was pretty good. You he's, know, he would come to all the uh, performances and clap. So. You know, I, I'm not that good of a clapper, and I know this because uh, in our office waiting room, we got these beautiful lamps, and I wanted to save the receptionists every day from having to get up and go turn on each lamp individually. <laughs> so I was looking for options on how they can do it, remote control options, but the plug is behind the couch, and some of them <laughs> need a direct sight line, so we had to buy that and send it back to Amazon. We tried another one. It didn't work because it was a remote that goes into the bulb, but the bulb then was too big for the lamp, so that didn't work. I didn't give up. And then I found the clapper. <laughs> they like, still yes. make and sell the clapper. And clap I got on. it and I put it in there and I but it's <laughs> apparently how you clap. Like the rhythm has to be right. Oh and, really? And for me it was like fifty percent only. I couldn't get the thing to go on. So maybe well, I could take lessons from your dad. You could, but you know, honestly, like it's uh, the, when he's sitting in the audience, we just see him clapping. I don't think I've ever actually heard him oh, clapping. Oh, I was gonna say so you have like a distinct <laughs> clap, you're like dad's clapping again. Oh, <laughs> I could hear dad clap like like the mom who has the horrible laugh who sits in the front row. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> yeah. My Bye, mom, mom used to whistle for me a lot. So if <laughs> I was if I was like in a gymnastics competition, she has this really loud whistle, and it would just be like going, going, going. And I would be like, "Mom, stop whistling!" But <laughs> now, like, I love she's it. Supporting you. She was. Yeah. I would always be like, "Oh, my mom's watching me again." <laughs> but is yeah. Indian classical singing? Can you spring? I don't know what it's like. Um, yeah. But can you? Well, there's a lot of like vocal gymnastics. Uh, there's <laughs> a lot. It's it's very like it's more so high pitched, I would say, than you know mainstream American music. Hmm. But because of how rangy it is, I. I, I mean, I can confidently say that it probably helped that I started there because then it just kind of helped me move into all of the Western styles, like mm. whether it was theatrical, operatic, all of that stuff. I kind of took to it because my voice was used to stretching mm-hmm. in different ways as a young child. Oh. So um, I really attribute a lot of my flexibility to that, I would say. And I'm, I'm I mean, that's just luck. I, I just found myself. I mean, that was my mom giving us that gift. I thought I was responsible for some of your flexibility. <laughs> Nowadays you are, now you are, and I have to thank you for that. I Aww. think my, I think the firstborn is going to thank you for that too. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I love that um, music has also played such a wonderful buffering in your life. Like you were saying, how because mm-hmm. you were musically inclined, that it helped you as like a first generation immigrant really in a lot of different ways. So do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, for sure. You know, I lived in a rural town in Texas. Actually, we moved out of Houston for a little while because my dad got a great job opportunity. Clapping. Um, yeah. Clapping, <laughs> clapping. Professional clapping. <laughs> and uh, we moved to a very small town outside of Austin. And that was around, I mean, we were there when 9-11 happened. Mm. So Mm. we were one of three brown families in the whole town, and the other two were because they worked with my dad. Oh, Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) And so, like, because we were, like, so involved already with the arts and, like, I was an athlete and all of that stuff, I think because my parents gave us that opportunity to, for lack of a better word, assimilate and do whatever we felt like we were drawn to, something like that event could have been really bad if we were scared or sheltered or like, Mm -hmm. you know, didn't spend a lot of time out of the house and, you know, like, you know, just 
being like, oh, I'm different than everybody. I shouldn't, you know, try and infiltrate myself into any of these activities because, you know, I'm just too different or something. But Mm -hmm. like because we were already integrated and because they knew our voices and, you know, I was singing the national anthem at sporting events in that town and for business openings in that town. So like they were used to seeing my face expressing myself. And so nobody really like bugged me all that much when that happened, when there was a lot of like targeted violence happening, especially in Texas. Mm -hmm. So I consider myself super lucky again. And I think like that's why arts education is so important. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I definitely am so, so, so supportive of all kids finding what their artistic voice is because like you never know how it's gonna serve you. And it really bridges it. It bridges that gap, right? Because if you're if someone's bullying you or, or you see someone's different than you, mm-hmm. um, like when I used to travel as a kid, we would travel a lot. We didn't speak the same language, but in order to play with the kids, I could always sit down and draw with them. Mm-hmm. And another kid would come and draw with me. Mm-hmm. And that's you could start singing. And even if you don't sing the same words, you can harmonize. It's such a great bridge. Mm-hmm. Like the national anthem. Sadly, yeah. I faked the words till I was at least 19. <laughs> Some of them. I know the first few. Why? Why didn't you know the whole thing? I don't know. Was, uh, <laughs> which is such a complicated song. <laughs> There's just a few words that I was like, eh, I don't That's know. That's the second it's time okay. you've sung, by the way, on this Uh-oh. podcast. Uh-oh. On this episode. I know. What's, you're having this effect on me. Stop I know. It, stop it. I'm a, soon I'm not going to feel weird anymore. <laughs> so um, you moved to New York and musical theater. So mm-hmm. you, you take your music into acting. Mm-hmm. And where does it go from there? Uh, well, uh, when I got to New York and I saw other, you know, brown actors, I was like, what? There's more of them? Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there just wasn't that many in Texas. In so Texas, I just yeah. assumed that my road would be difficult. And that's what I was told, that my road would be difficult. And um, not that any artist's road is easy. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, I was kind of programmed to think that unless somebody felt like it would be cool to be non-traditional in the casting of certain shows, then I probably wouldn't work and I have to figure out what I'm going to do and all of this stuff. And then, you know, some of that happened for sure. I, I think I don't really prescribe to the... Um, starving artist mindset. So I knew that I didn't want to live like, you know, paycheck to paycheck. I knew that when I got there. Maybe I should thank people for telling me that my career was going to be difficult because it gave me that drive to like figure out my life financially and things like that. And I got married really young. So that was like a weird like adult decision that I made prior to anybody that was my age. And But I would say uh, when I got to New York, I did some of the off-Broadway stuff. I went on a national tour. I did what, you know, most people do, like the grind, right? Eight shows a week, um, Mm -hmm. living on a meager paycheck, and I waited tables. I did all that, you know? (laughs) In musical theater? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So dancing, too? Yeah, I did some dancing. Um, The end of my dance career actually started probably when I was 22. I had a huge, huge knee injury. Mm. Um, I dislocated my kneecap on stage. Mm Oh. What show was it? Show must go on? Yeah, what show must go on? It was uh, around the time when uh, Disney's High School Musical was all the rage, mm. and they were doing That's right around stage... the time I learned all the words. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to um, Yeah, so when that movie became popular, they started producing it on the stage. Like, they started adapting it for the stage, oh. and they started producing it left and right all over the country. So I did that show three times. Wow. wow. <laughs> um, but the first time I did it, um, it was like a big act one closer, and I completely, like, ate it on stage, mm. like, at the end of, like, a choreography thing. And then one of my best friends, she's 
still my friend now. I mean, it must have like solidified our friendship then. But she was playing the lead. I was playing her best friend. And she looked down at me. She was like, that's not the choreography. <laughs> You're on the floor. <laughs> yeah. And somehow she got me up, got me off the stage. And I was like, um, my understudy wasn't ready. And so I popped four Advil. They wrapped me up and I finished the show and they like danced around me for a couple of numbers. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, what what part of the show you said was in the closing? Act one closer. So I still did a whole second act. Oh, my goodness. With a bum knee. (laughs) No kidding. Was dad still in the audience? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, dad. See, that was the first show that my then boyfriend, now husband, saw me in. Oh, wow. Mm hmm. The one wow. that you dislocated your knee in? Yes. Oh, well, that's a good sign. Well, yeah. <laughs> they say break a leg. I know. I, t- I literally did. A knee. I literally did. So then you were, I mean, what happened the next night? Uh, well, the next night, I think we figured out that it, nothing was torn, nothing was broken. So they readjusted the show so I wouldn't have to do as much choreography, and I finished the run. Wow. Oh, wow. So your understudy was like, darn it. Yeah, I mean, if they weren't they weren't ready, you know, yeah. like it was it was a regional theater contract. So like there isn't enough incentive or money to really like actually learn it. <laughs> yeah. Get people to get them to rehearsal extra. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. that's a lot to ask. Well, it takes a special actor not to get disjointed when that happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. But um, yeah, I mean, I just I definitely earned my stripes. When I would did, say. When did you scoot over to TV? I did my last off-Broadway show in 2013, and I was about five years into being married at that point. And my husband is a civilian, (laughs) 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 and he works nine to five. That's a funny term in Los Angeles. I am definitely going to use that. That is so funny. Um, that's that's yeah, and I love it. I think it's funny. Um, that is yeah. almost the foundation of a TV sitcom, yeah. right? The, the civilian, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, like I mean, he's also artistically inclined, so he's he's always been super supportive. But I would say, like off Broadway, eight shows a week, I would leave the house as he was coming home from work, and. I was exhausted and, you know, actually right now Off-Broadway New York is going through a huge, huge battle with the city to raise wages because they're just so low. Yeah. And it's really hard to make a living off of that paycheck. And so after that experience, and thank goodness I had like, you know, I'd started a business before that. And so I had like another stream of income so we could at least like pay our rent and and whatnot. Um, I had uh, like a word of mouth. Yeah, I had like a word of mouth catering business for a minute, uh, vegan catering. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to need some (laughs) recipes. I love vegan cooking. Yeah, yeah. And I did some health coaching for a while, too. So, you know, that was it was really helpful. I definitely just like threw myself in because I just like I said, I I don't plan on living paycheck to paycheck. I didn't want to. So I figured out. Are you vegan and are you still? Uh, I am ish, I would Mm. say. You're a flex-a-vegan. Yeah, I would say, I mean, honestly, the only thing I'm really flex on is I eat eggs. And if I'm out and somebody puts a cheese plate in front of me and there's a glass of wine next to me, I will take part. I'm the same way. I'm (laughs) vegan, but I sometimes eat chicken and beef. But... but yeah, I think I would say I think the lifestyle um, really got to me. And and my body was tired. Mm -hmm. My body was tired and... I was vegan for four months when I did a I did a four month juice cleanse, mm-hmm. and I just had fruits and vegetables, mm-hmm. and uh, I wasn't planning to be vegan. But when I look back, I was like, "Wow, I was dairy free, gluten free, mm-hmm. vegan. I was everything." Yeah, I almost died. I'm sure that's not true. No, no. I never felt better. Yeah, what? It's all carbs. I mean, it's all juice and. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you didn't, you didn't have any like bread. No, it was all liquid. Wow. Yeah. All juice and nut milk. Four months. Mm-hmm. Four okay. months. 
Yeah. Well, thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah. I lost 110 pounds in 120 days. You lost a me. A I'm 110 yeah, pounds. No. Exactly. <laughs> you I lost, lost a you. Juliet. And it was a lot easier moving around without you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I've heard. I've heard. But uh, now, yeah. I, now I couldn't survive without you. So. But anyway, theater lifestyle really got to me. Um, I needed a change of pace. So I sort of talked to my agents and I was like, uh, can we try something else? Like, can we just kind of go, go full force? Because at that time, around 2013-14 is when New York started giving tax breaks to TV studios. Oh, so they were coming yeah. so the shows were around. So st- the shows were starting to come in. And I was like, this, now is the time. Yeah. I, I got to figure out how to like, you know, do something else and see if I like it. You know what I mean? I That could have been the time where I'm like, hang up the hat and leave it all behind. But, you know, thankfully... Um, I really, really loved and took to TV, and they like opened their arms to me. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're you're amazing to be around. You're fun yeah. to work with. Oh, thank you. I think that helps, right? Yeah, I think if you're a nice person in general, like people <laughs> will hopefully want you Gravitate around. Gravitate you, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're fun to work with. Like it's it's TV is my understanding is like kind of intense hours, so yeah, you, you want to be around. Oh yeah. Angry people. Yeah. Sometimes, like Difficult I mean, people. you'll get you'll get more of a a response out of people in the audition room because of something funny you said outside of the script. Yep. Like mm-hmm. before and after your audition. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Nothing, <laughs> nothing so to do times. with your reading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, where, do, where do you see yourself going? Um, well, I do think that I have a, a future as a producer. Um, and uh, I say this a lot on the podcast and as a reproducer. <laughs> yes, very much so. Um, I think what I like about producing is that it really took the emphasis off of myself. Mm-hmm. And it allowed me to say yes to other people. Do you define f- the role of producer to people who don't know? Um, in my opinion, the producer is the team builder. Mm-hmm. They find the right people. They put the team together. General contractor mm-hmm. of production. Yep. And then they manage everybody's expectations on the project, really. Mm-hmm. Oh, that seems like a stressful job. <laughs> it can be. Mm-hmm. But I, that's what I mean, though. I look at it as like an act of service. Mm-hmm. So if I'm serving the project, if I'm serving the people that I'm working with, if you know that feels a lot like an artistic endeavor to me. Yeah. So you're enabling people to be creative. So as a producer, do you want to produce projects that you pick, or would people hire you to be their vegan producer who sometimes <laughs> eats fish? Eggs. Eggs. <laughs> um, I would say most of what I go after is my own stuff. Like I have two producing partners that still live in New York. Um, I have a couple of collaborators out coast here. Coast to coast. Yeah, exactly. Um, but ideally, we're building up enough of our own stuff now so that people will call us up and say, hey, do you want to jump onto this? Mm. Does it speak to you? You know, and then I can choose which ones I like. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. It's like a company that you're starting. It's like a oh, production yeah. company. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Do you, an, and do you have a production company? With yes. An, what's the name Team of it? Team Access Productions. Ooh. So giving access, providing access. Mm-hmm. It's all of that stuff. Tap. Um, what's that? Tap. Yes. <laughs> Tap Films. Tap Films. Um. But yeah, Invisible, our documentary is one of our first and that I mean, I didn't think I was going to be a documentary producer as my first project. I thought you had to have like millions of dollars to be a producer. Oh, I think you just need an iPhone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And these <clears throat> exactly. And, and that's the amazing thing. <laughs> which which is only $1,000. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> let's do this. Let's take a quick break and when we come back, we'll chat about the film and mm-hmm. also the little guest you brought with you. Yeah, my woommate. Your woommate. I like Aww. it. Uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Palvi Sastry. 
Hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally, omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new omega-3 soft gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We are talking to Pallavi Sastry. Let's talk about this film. Yeah. Invisible. It's, yes. It, Invisible is a feature-length documentary that we started working on about four and a half years ago. Um, documentaries do take a long mm -hmm. time because oh, yeah. they're very stop and go. We run out of money a lot and we have to find money again. <laughs> and then when you pick it back up, it's sort of like, where were we? Exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. It's very disjointed and so you have to refresh yourself a lot. Um, but how it started was a good friend of mine in New York, she, uh, I met her through when I was doing a little bit of that health coaching that I was talking about, and she had just started feeling better in her late 20s. Like she was, I think, 28 or so when I met her. And she had just started feeling good for the first time in her life, like zero pain after being diagnosed with fibromyalgia at age 12. Oh, wow. wow. Um, and she was a competitive gymnast at the time, like on oh. the road to the Olympics sort wow. of gymnast. Yeah. And her doctors were just like, listen, this is going to be something you have for the rest of your life. You should stop trying, you know, like basically I think you're hurting yourself further. So you're going to be in pain for the rest of your life. Do you want to take some painkillers? You know, like that's basically the option they gave her. Because she was doing gymnastics or no. the gymnastics was just going to make it worse? That's what their reasoning was. Right. Like, you know, you're you're already in a lot of pain because you have this thing. Um, do you really want to make your life any worse? Oh, wow. You know? And, and at then, 12. That's a 12, heavy decision. Yeah. Exactly. Really into something. Exactly. And then offering a 12 and 13-year-old, like, her option was to take some painkillers. Painkillers. Yeah. So that, you know, sent her into kind of a really tough teenage years and- she found herself making it to Los Angeles. She's from Oregon. She went to L.A. She went to USC uh, to go to school. And, you know, she would describe some days she couldn't even, like, walk up the stairs to her car. Like, she was just having a really tough time. And, you know, when she found Pilates, she's a Pilates instructor. That was the first time she could, like, move her body again without it hurting. And so that started mm -hmm. her, like, sort of roller coaster snowball into figuring out how to make herself better. I think if she had stuck with gymnastics, maybe it would have cured itself earlier. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I yeah. think what we're talking about in our film really is that if you can empower people to find what works for them, then there is a solution. There is some sort of relief that can be found. For fibromyalgia specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We follow about four people in the film. And our director came onto the project because his mother has uh, the condition. And she was diagnosed after coming out of chemotherapy for breast cancer. Ooh. Um, I can't tell you how many people I have come in contact with because, mm -hmm. you know, outside of the prenatal care that we do, people come in for pain when they have fibromyalgia mm -hmm. who ultimately find Pilates mm -hmm. just as a student of Pilates and start to feel better and then become career Pilates people. Either <laughs> they become an instructor, open a studio. 
Yeah, I mean, that was basically her story, too. And so we met each other through, like, this natural health world. And, you know, she she was starting to change her diet a bit and finding whatever supplementation she had to do in order to fill in the gaps of whatever her stomach was rejecting. Because, like, you know, there's nobody's fibromyalgia is the same. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. That's what makes it tricky. Um, but basically what we're trying to do in the film is, like, give this community that is millions of people. It's a, it's not a small community. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really large number of people and even more so that are not diagnosed and then some that are misdiagnosed mm-hmm. because it's, like, this default diagnosis that's given to some people. It's like, oh, well, you must have this. Right. Yeah. It's a you catch-all. Know? It's a catch-all, Yeah. So what we're trying to do is kind of clear away some of the cobwebs of that in the film and um, show the humanity that these people have and and show how hard they have to work just to find something that works for them. Yeah, well, It's powerful. Mm-hmm. Where will we be able to see it? Um, I think we're going to be we're, – we're working on a final edit right now. So my hope is that we have a festival run and then after that – it finds itself on a VOD platform so people can watch it from anywhere. Because another thing with the condition is that there's a lot of fatigue that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of our audience is online, actually. They engage with us daily. And mm. they're telling us, can I watch this from my house? Can I, you know, see it on online somewhere? You know, so um, it's really important for us to make the film accessible. So, um, yes, we need the attention on it by doing festivals and things like that. But then afterwards, it needs to be accessible to the community. We'll look out for it. Absolutely. Is Invisible definitely the name that's going to? I believe so. It's stuck for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody sort of says, yeah, we have this invisible condition because there's no outward. You can't uh, see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the symptoms are not visible wow. by any means. Yeah. Um, a different situation that happens sometimes, which is quite visible, is uh, shifting gears. This is mm-hmm. a horrible thing. <laughs> it's a great, great segue. Good segue. Uh, <laughs> you have a bump. It's like more than a bump. It's like this basketball that I like can't play with. How many weeks old is that basketball? <laughs> <laughs> She's about uh, 28 weeks now. At, at this oh. moment of recording. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you're third trimester. Mm-hmm. Just gotten in there. Yeah. And did you, because you said you got married young. I did. And so you've been married for a minute. Yeah, I've been married 10 years this Ooh, November. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. you. Getting the hang of it? <laughs> Do you really ever <laughs> get the, the full I'm hang of it? I'm 22 years, I think we're at. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sometimes I, think, I feel like I have it. I will say, like, you know, that that's a question I get a lot is, like, 10 years. Wow, you you waited a long time to have kids. Like, what took you so long? You know, like, there's a variety of ways people ask me that question. Some of them not so respectful. Some of them, like, you know, just like, gosh, like, you know, what are you doing? You is, know? It, is it culturally? Do people have children younger? Absolutely. So it could also be that tied into it, too. Oh, that definitely yeah. has something to do with it. But also, I would say, like, I think there's something about getting married where no matter where you're from and who you are, people are like, well, when are you having kids? Yeah, what's yeah. wrong? It's, it's like, like as soon as you get engaged, they ask about the wedding. And as soon as you get married, they, and you're like, yeah. wow. And it's not a, are you having kids? When? Or, when are you having kids? And then as soon as you have the kid, they ask about the divorce. It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my husband and I joke very, very often about who our next person is going to be. Like, like, he knows that Idris Elba is at the top of my list. So. <laughs> Uh, wait, so then but then you decided now is a good time? You know, um, we actually tried, quote, <laughs> in quote, uh, for a while. We essentially for the last uh, maybe, uh, so prior to 2018, for, for about two or three years, we were 
a bicoastal couple because I was pursuing television and I was trying to come out to LA every chance I got. And he's at his civilian job in New York, and you know he travels when he when he has to for his projects. But I'm seeing a logistical trying problem. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I hear you have to be in the same yeah. room for that to happen. I'm so. no scientist, but. <laughs> so every chance we got, we did try, you mm-hmm. know, like we timed it as best as we could. I had an app that would tell me when I was ovulating. No, you know, like, plane, <laughs> do it right now. This should be a little voice that yells at you, like a, a Lewis Black. What are you waiting for? <laughs> um, and I had it, and, and I actually, I haven't been on birth control since... Geez, like 2012. Like I stopped taking it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I just expected, you know, I'm a healthy person. You know, if we're diligent about this, but we don't stress out about it, this should happen. You know, and um, that really wasn't the case. Like, I think, you know, two and a half solid years of trying and it didn't happen. Was Um, that frustrating, nerve wracking? It was frustrating, I would say. I think towards the the end of the second year, it and we kept on putting it off, right? Like we would say, okay, it didn't happen pilot seasons in a month so yeah. let's you know put it mm-hmm. off again and you know it's um never the perfect time but we would always try and find the perfect time mm-hmm. and i think that probably added the stress even though i was trying not to be stressed right um and i hate it when people ask like when i know someone's trying to have a baby but they haven't told people obviously and then mm-hmm. someone asks like when are you having kids and it's just like it's mm. really like a stab as soon as, <laughs> as soon as we get the you know, get it right <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Then... yeah yeah i mean i i wouldn't say it was an easy process by any means that being said, I'm definitely somebody that takes responsibility for whatever's happening to me. So I was like, okay, there's got to be something that, you know, I'm missing. Maybe it's like, you know, maybe I am putting too much pressure on this, you know. And then my husband got offered this great job in LA and we decided to just relocate. And I remember after six months of being here, and, you know, being in my car for that long, like, <laughs> like, you know, because in New York, you're never alone. You're, even when you're commuting, you're like surrounded by hundreds of yeah, people. Everywhere. Yeah. So you're always stimulated. You're never really sitting there like hearing yourself think. And I was like sitting in my car hearing myself thinking, wow, like I've never <laughs> sat here with my thoughts for this long. <laughs> and yeah. like, you know, maybe what can I do with my time? right now is like, you know, mm. you can start listening to more podcasts. I could recommend the podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can start listening to self-help podcasts or something mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to clear away whatever you feel like you've been like suppressing because you were hustling in New York for so long. And so I actually started seeing a therapist for the first time last summer. And a lot of like childhood things came up, things that I probably didn't assume were a huge issue for me. I did a lot of work to like clear away whatever maybe my body was hanging on to. And I even like, you know, addressed some of those things with my parents and my family and things like that. And that was in September of last year. I started therapy in July and I spoke to my parents in September or I spoke to my mother. And then in October, I got pregnant. Wow. So it was mental. You really connected those two dots then. I I like to think that's my aha moment. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't say for sure. I mean, I know a lot of people who would love to talk to your mother. (laughs) (laughs) My mom's pretty great. She should set up a little hotline. (laughs) (laughs) Pregnancy hotline. (laughs) My mom's pretty great. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's my aha moment. I can't say for sure that that's what it was, but I have a lot of confidence that that was something I hadn't done before, which was take that time for myself, like prioritize whatever I needed to talk through, whatever I needed to let go of, Mm. and then... 
I don't know. I feel like it's not an accident that a month later I'm pregnant. No, I don't think so no. at all. Yeah. I think, yeah. <laughs> I think your body, you know, you kind of end up in a, in a sort of semi-fight or flight mode mm-hmm. when you're holding mm-hmm. on to stuff like that. Mm-hmm. When you let it go, it just there's this contrast where mm-hmm. your, your body's like, oh, now we can, you know, no more emergency. That's a good time to have a baby. Yeah. Well, how did you find out? Let's see. I am, again, very in tune with my own body, I would say. And if I am more than three days late, I know that there's something going on. Mm-hmm. So because <laughs> I have like a three day window and mm-hmm. I usually like I would always start my period within that three days. And um, I remember I went to a soul cycle class with a friend of mine. And after dinner that day, I was like, oh, I'm probably going to go home and, you know, it's good this Day, day three and I you know <laughs> feel sore and you know and weird like I'm just like everything is sore and I feel like very tight and like you know it just it didn't feel great I was like it, it has to be cramps so and then it didn't happen and then we went to a wedding that weekend and that was like day four and a half and then by the end of day four of day five of that and, and we were at that wedding I said I gotta go home because I I'm tired. I can't stay out on the dance floor. Like, <laughs> wow! So that's soon. Yeah. No, I I would say I I, I knew something was. But now you're like two and a half weeks pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. is like four weeks because it goes from right. Yeah. yeah. I still I actually don't completely understand how they count the weeks. <laughs> they count <laughs> from your from the start of your last cycle. Right. So two weeks before you actually conceive right. on average. Right. And then, so by the time you're talking about it is two weeks after that. So you're mm-hmm. technically four and a half weeks pregnant. There you go. Okay. Yeah. So I would say at the end of day five, we were, it was like, we we're on the dance floor at a wedding and I was like, I need to take a break. Like, this is, this is hard. And all I'm doing is like moving around to the YMCA right now. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I went home that night and I took a test and it was positive. And so two days later, I confirmed it at the doctor. <laughs> oh, did you tell your husband right away? Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, I'm going to pee on this stick. And he was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Had you peed on sticks before? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this was like, like, was it euphoric? Was it? It was. I would say like. I feel euphoric right now after everything you said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, because we had been, you know, trying, I would say I would get, when I was on my third day of being late, I would get so excited. I'd be like, oh, this must be it. It's day three and, you know, nothing's happening. Okay, I should go get a test. Mm. And then it would come back negative. And then like literally hours later or the next morning, I would start my period. So I'd be like, okay, well, I guess I'm wrong. But this is day five. I gave it an extra day and a half. Mm. And I was like, no, this has to be it. You went the extra mile. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I think men have cycles too. I sometimes, I'll be at a wedding and feel like soreness in my man boobs. And I'm like, I can't even move to the YMCA. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just because I'm out of shape. Exactly. That's so emotionally exhausting, the up and down of like, am I pregnant? Am I not? Am I, you know, it's. Yeah. So by the time it was, it was probably just like, finally. (laughs) Yeah. How's pregnancy been? Um, You know, it's been a little uneventful, I would say, which I that's hear is good. a good thing. I think that's good. No news is good news. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bumps um, are growing. Again, I like I wasn't I'm pretty in tune with my body. You know, I know what my strengths are and what my limits are too. So I knew as a kid, like I didn't have anything like I wasn't a kid that threw up or got motion sickness or like nothing like getting queasy and throwing up wasn't a feeling that I knew really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when I started getting morning sickness, I was like, I must be ill. Like I, oh, this like is, sick, sick. Yeah. I was like, I'm in addition to being pregnant. I like I, mu- I must be ill because this is excessive, mm-hmm. you know, like this, uh, this nausea that I'm feeling like nothing. I, I mean, I had like two days in a row where things were coming up. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's like it was just this intense fatigue 
and I probably napped for most of you know my second month. <laughs> and yeah. I like I, it's a lot of like really run down, tired feeling. Yeah, yeah. Did I you was, tell people right away? Um. So because we found out like uh, it was around a time when we were about to see lots of family for like lots of events. Mm. So we were like, you know what? If I don't have a glass of wine in my hand, they're going to mm-hmm. be like, are you pregnant? <laughs> you <know? laughs> and if you do, they're going to say, when are you pregnant? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we figured we would like use one of those events to break the news pretty early. So I think by week nine, everybody in the family knew. Oh, wow. That's early. Yeah, it's pretty early. Compared to when most people tell. Uh, yeah, yeah. Some which... people are still out of breath and they just tell the, they do an Instagram live video. <laughs> I think we did it. I think we did it. <laughs> and I, I think, like, the other thing also is, like, I didn't – part of the reason why people keep it a secret, right, is because you don't know what might happen sure. in the first trimester. Like, oh, that's the most volatile time. And, you know, I didn't really want to prescribe to that either. I just, like, I'd rather just enjoy the fact that it happened. Mm-hmm. And God forbid if something happens, like, then we'll cross that bridge. But I would just like to live in this joy. I would just That's like so to. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and refreshing. Yeah. And people are afraid to do it, but it's really yeah. nice. Now you clearly have a lot of energy. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, it's so much better now. But um, I think now that I'm like third trimester now, the simplest things are winding me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say, like, I think I bent over to grab a pot to cook with last night and I was just like, woof. Yeah. <laughs> that was like lifting a barbell. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I have to like squat to, you Do know, everything. pick things up and which, which is, is hard. a good thing. It's a good thing and it's hard. Yeah. Um You're just doing the why there's no MCA. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um actually I think I read something I, I, it was part of her book Anime Gaskin. Um her book like she talks about squatting as like the best exercise to get ready for Birth. Childbirth, yeah. And I don't think it's in her book, but it's somewhere where she says 300 squats a day. And Whoa. I was like, 300? Oh, my God. Pregnancy uh, workout. <laughs> so, Jeez. but I I have to say, I'm pretty proud of myself. I've worked myself up to 200 well, now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes. Does that include peeing? Because uh, by the end, <laughs> maybe that's what she meant, 300 squats a day. Yeah, so I'm doing 200 squats a day whenever I get that's a chance. That's incredible. Yeah. You just break it up throughout oh, yeah. your day. Yeah. Well, honestly, I do it in like two like uh, sets of 100. So like one in the morning and I'll try and do one later on in the day. Wow. Yeah. God bless you. Thank you. What's the birth plan? Do you have one? So we are currently writing it. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a wonderful monotrice, Abby Mm. Vidikin. Oh, Abby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Who is going to walk us through all of that. Um, I chose to have a monotrice mostly because, again, I'm not a huge fan of, like, interventions and drugs and all of those things. So I really, really would like to have a natural birth. But we're sticking to the hospital because I was raised with a certain level of fear that, you know, like, we need help and, you know, medicine is a is a good thing. And... You just love the gown? Because we can get you a gown at home. We can order yeah. it. And, not, and again, I'm not saying that, you know, the medical field is like, I'm not saying anything against them. It's just I've got a, a certain level of training that it is important 
to have the hospital available to you and like you know medical doctors available to you in case something happens. Right. Well, so so we should make a few definitions. First of all, monitories. A lot of people don't know what it is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the word monitor. Doulas don't do anything medical. Mm-hmm. They are very supportive, very helpful, very nurturing to a lot of people in labor, but they're not medical people. Uh, midwives are medical people, typically instead of an obstetrician or a medical doctor. So the in-between is the monitories, where you have a nurse or a midwife who has training to monitor your baby's heart tones, your vital signs, your cervix. Um, but they're acting more in kind of like a doula role, kind of like doula with benefits, monitoring benefits, <laughs> so to speak. And so in your case, Abby will be your monitories and labor with you at home. And then you are being monitored by someone medical. And then when you're ready, when you feel like you're ready or want to, then your plan would be to go to the hospital for the final stages and pushing, which is great because at the hospital, they have this incredible mixture of apple juice, cranberry juice, and orange juice, which is very (laughs) hard at home to recreate without that machine. Um, and I do have you to thank. I, I mean, I was one of those people that didn't know what a monitrice was, so mm-hmm. I do have to thank you for introducing that option to me. It's the least I can do, really. I think you're doing most of the hard work. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think people don't know about monitrices? Because I didn't know about it. You didn't know about it until Dr. Berlin. It's mm-hmm. not that common of an option. I think it just feels like people... a great option, though. It seems like it's such a good option. <laughs> I like it as an option because yeah. if you want to labor at home for a long time, it gives you peace of mind to mm-hmm. to just monitor and yeah. like, how's everybody doing? We're doing good. We keep going, and mm-hmm. things don't look amazing. We go over to get to the hospital. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I what I love about Amonatrice also is because she is a midwife. Yeah. Um, you know, I asked her uh, at my last appointment with her, I said, you know, when is it too late for me to decide <laughs> that I want to do a home birth? You know, yeah. and she actually said the week before. Yeah. So oh, that's wow. a, a lot of people when they hear about a monitrice, they get this grand notion that they're just going to labor at home. And if, oops, I just go too far, then we'll just deliver at home. But there is a big distinction between your midwife being a midwife and your midwife being a monitrice. Number one, what they bring with them to actually you know, prepare for the delivery of the baby and the care for the newborn is different than just monitoring you while you're in labor. Correct. And yeah. also they always have a, an assistant, somebody else, because once mm-hmm. your baby comes, there's two of you to take care of yeah. and only one of them. So the, you do kind of have to decide, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you could decide late. But it sounds like your mind's still a little bit open to like, hmm, maybe we'll just... Uh... It is open because, I again, I, I, I like to have confidence in myself, you know. Um, I did have I mean I my dad is a genius man he really is wonderful but again like that's where my my mindset comes from so he is you know we had a nice healthy debate about what if I decide to do this at home because I do have that option you know and he went silent for a second and <laughs> and you no know clapping? <laughs> <laughs> no claps for you and <laughs> um and he was like well I'm I'm not sure that I completely agree with that but you know of course I want you to do whatever you feel is best for you and comfortable for you and I agree that stress is really like, you know, the thing that can elevate any situation. So, of course, I hear you. And, you know, and it was a really nice discussion. Like, I didn't resent anything that he said. Like, wow. I totally get what he was cu- coming from. First um, mom, now dad. <laughs> you're going through the family. Listen, like, we've had a lot of, like, evolution, right? I mean, when you're an immigrant family, like, you have to learn all the time. Yeah. You have to learn how to evolve. So, 
You know, I think um, I, I'm not convinced. And, and again, my husband is one of those people. He, his father was a pharmacist. Mm. So, you know, he also is in that same mindset of like, well, what if something happens? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, what if we're not at the hospital? What if, you know, he's it, it's mostly just fear. What if it happens when you're laboring at home? What if it happens when you're 39 wings? I'm just curious. Right. <laughs> Roadside <laughs> delivery. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think we're. You we'll, know, in my mind, I, I shift. There is the other possibility, which is where you get your midwife in on assistant and you're home ready for home birth mm-hmm. and then start laboring at home just to see how it goes. Right. And then if in the moment you feel very comfortable, you're ready for birth, you could always just stay there. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's not, I wonder if, yeah, I haven't talked about that going to that extent with her, but yeah, I mean, that that would be something to bring up yeah. at my next appointment. I also sure. don't think there's anything wrong delivering at a hospital, except for some people, they dislike hospitals so much that when they walk in there, you can pretty much hear their cervix slamming shut. <laughs> And I think it's just important to give birth where you feel comfortable. For people who feel very comfortable at home, that's a great place. Hospital, that's a great place. Birth center, fine. Back of U-Haul, whatever you like. Yeah, I think I can count on my hand the number of times I've been in a hospital and it was never for me, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Once for me because I dislocated my knee, you know, and had to go get it. I remember that time. (laughs) Back in the day. Um, Wow, we're out of time. Before we go, can you tell me about your podcast in a a – a yeah. little synopsis of it. Yes. Um, it's called What Are Friends For? And <laughs> it's got a great jingle. Um, and my co-host, Samantha Weiner and I, um, she was my college roommate. We're best friends. And when I told her I was moving from New York, she was like, I, I don't have any other friends. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, that's not true. But I think it's just that's that. this is the way the show is the way that we realize that there's a lot of work to be done if we feel like we don't have enough of a community, if we feel like we're you know lonely, like that's really on us. What's, our, what's what's the common denominator? It's it's me. So what am I going to do to like feel like I have people around me that support me and whatnot? And then we also talk about all the different facets of friendship. Like we've talked to somebody about social media and friendship and how that creates or destroys, you know, mm-hmm. relationships. And uh, we've had a psychologist on. Um, we talked to a spirituality guru about the spirituality of friendship. We can try and run the gamut a little bit. We had Oscar winner Mark Rylance on this season. <laughs> and he never does interviews, and he's very, like, proper and British and lovely. <laughs> oh, that's a nice um, catch. Yeah, so, and um, now that I've, you know, announced to the world that I'm pregnant, we're looking into doing a bonus episode in between season one and two with a, a mom friend of mine. Um, oh. who uh, A bump friend. Yes, exactly. I'm hoping it's, the person I'm hoping to get is, like a 90s TV star so she's like very recognizable and you know has a lot to say about being a mom in this industry so I think she and I would have a lot to talk about sounds amazing yeah um, where can we find you online uh, I'm mostly on the Instagram what is that um, <laughs> uh, Polly V. Sastry I think uh, my name is probably spelled out on the description of this show right yes it so is so they can find me um, mm-hmm. and then uh, pollyvsastry.com to find all my other projects Amazing. Thank you so much for coming and sharing. Of course. Yeah, I love just... talking to you. There might be a part two of this. Okay. Yeah, maybe an after if I decide to do homework. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, or even if you Well, don't. even if you do homework. Yeah. Uh, yes. I think what we've never done before is a during. <laughs> Down. <laughs> this is the, the, the first before and during episode. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, you're not having it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm like, roll that back up. That well, but I do have to say I'm very grateful. Like, I, I, you know, I love that, you know, you've provided this platform for people to talk about their hopes and their dreams and their fears, and I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm a fan of the show. Thank you so much. And yeah. we're fans of yours, so it works out. At home, thanks for listening to us. If you want to find more of our media, just visit informedpregnancy.com.
This podcast is a proud member of Parents on Demand, a network of high-quality shows for families just like yours. Download our free network app on Apple and Android and listen to your favorite episodes on the go.